It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer. Download our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos, and same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1 800 858 858. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We've all recently uh, watched the Olympics uh, and particularly in the first week watched in awe as uh, some of those supremely gifted and dedicated and committed athletes did all sorts of superhuman things on all sorts of different gymnastics discipline. And I'm sure as we sit down and watch it every two or four years at the Commonwealth and Olympic Games, uh, our mind turns to what sort of focus, what sort of dedication goes into getting yourself as an athlete uh, to the point where you can do all those incredible things that uh, us mere mortals uh, could only dream of. My guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories is Australia's most decorated gymnast. She's a proud West Australian. She's been to multiple Olympic Games. Uh, She's a uh, world champion uh, in the floor exercise uh, and also in one Commonwealth Games managed to pick up four gold medals, which is just a phenomenal effort. So it's with great pleasure I say hello and welcome to Lauren Mitchell. Hello, Lauren. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Going well, thank you. Um, Olympics just been and gone. Yep. Um, You are a recently retired Olympian, if I can put it that way. Yeah, five years. That's recent. (laughs) That's that's close enough. Um, As a spectator, this is probably your first big sort of sit down, I'm just going to watch it. Yeah. Olympics. Yeah. How did you find it? Oh, look. If I'm being completely honest, I got the feels again watching floor finals. I was like, oh, I could still do that. I could come back. <laughs> <laughs> My routines would still be competitive. But honestly, watching everything else, I was like, oh, they're amazing. And I can't believe that I used to be able to do that at one point in my yeah. life. <laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, how quickly do you lose that conditioning once you're out of that intensive environment? I mean, look, you yeah. seem like you're still extremely fit. Yeah, so I still um, go to the could gym you still, and stuff. Could you still do that much of that stuff to your own um, or would you hurt yourself? <laughs> I think I've lost like the plyometric, really quick, fast twitch muscle fibres that you need for gymnastics. Like mm. the slow, heavy, say like weightlifting or uh, I don't know, like those sorts of muscles I still yep. have and that's still fine. Um, but it's the quick uh, aerodynamic, knowing where you are in space, like all those sorts of little things you just lose. And I'm definitely not as flexible as I was. <laughs> I can still touch my toes, so that's good. <laughs> I'm sure you've still got the rest of us covered yeah. well and truly. Um, reflecting, though, on you know your long career yeah. uh, as a, an elite-level gymnast and, and to now, it, I mean, the transition from one to the other, was it, was it fairly easy and straightforward? Have you managed to sort of slip into what you might call normal life? Fairly kind easily. Of, yeah. I was kind of saying before, I needed to remove myself completely from gymnastics when I first yeah. retired. Um, otherwise, I'd want to go back to it. Um, even So I retired in 2016. Even mm-hmm. watching the Commonwealth Games in 2018, I went over and actually watched it um, on the Gold Coast. And 
it made me want to get back into it again. Did it? I was working full time at this point. Um, and I was like, oh, I can work part time. I only need a train beam and floor. The Olympics is coming up in another couple of years. I should be able to make it. And then I actually stopped. I was like, no, that's a bad idea. You're <laughs> retired for a reason. Um, but in terms of like actually retiring when I did, I was quite fortunate in that I had a really good support network around me. Um, and when I first initially retired, I made sure that I had uni behind me and I was studying the entire time and yep. everything like that. So it was quite seamless in that regard. Um, but I obviously still missed it. It yeah. is like a gaping big hole because you've been, I was training yeah. for 18 years or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you still know many of the Australian girls um, who competed this year in, in yeah. Tokyo? Yeah. Yeah. So um, Tyson, Georgia, and Emily, um, I used to kind of train with them. They're obviously train over east, but whenever mm. we had training camps and stuff, um, yeah, we used to train together. So yeah. they were obviously a little bit younger than me. But, I have yeah. to ask, one of the great sort of, um, you know, off, well, let's say out of arena. Um, stories from the Olympics was the great American gymnast Simone Biles and, yeah. and um, the questions of mental health and her struggles. Yep. What, did, what did you make of that? I mean, you would you would have met her yeah. many times over the years. Yeah? yeah. What did you make of that whole drama that played out? Um, I think it was too much drama for what it was worth, mm. if I'm being completely honest. Like, was that something just the media turned into something? I think when she first came out, she said it was mental health issues. Yeah. But it wasn't mental health issues. She had something, what she's... Um, coined as the twisties. So it's basically <laughs> when you jump up in the middle of the air and you get lost and you have no idea where you are in space. Yep. So it's actually quite dangerous because she's performing like amazing skills. Like, mm. for example, she has three vaults, which a handful of athletes in the world compete and she competes all three of them. Um, which, you know, me being an average vaulter or whatever, I wouldn't even dream of doing half the stuff that she's doing. And she's doing three of them and she was getting confused in the air, mm. um, which makes it even more dangerous than if, say, like an average person was getting confused yep. in the air. And if you don't know where you are in space, the likelihood of landing on your head or landing in a compromising or awkward position um, increases the risk of you hurting yourself. And that's basically what she kind of came out and said after the fact that she said it was mental health issues. Yeah. And whether or not um, the pressure and stuff kind of caused her to have those things, yeah. we don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think it was a really smart decision for her to go, no, I'm done. Like, I need to take a step back here and let my teammates do the work. Yeah. Yeah. How much of, of executing those tasks is, you know, between the years? I mean, you can you train and you, you get the strength and the flexibility and the poise and all of that. But yeah. In the moment, how much of the battle is, is between the years? A lot. Yeah. Um, I think they say it's like 70% to 30% or something like that. Um, so 30% is the actual physical work and doing that and then 70% is the mental side of it. So once physically you've got all the skills down and you've been doing your routines over and over and over, yep. it's literally about trying to switch your mind off um, and trying to let your body actually do the work. Yep. And I think her mind was not letting her body do the work. Yep. Um, and so there was just that disconnect and she yep. just couldn't kind of get over it and it's something that takes time as well mm. so I was just in awe that she was able to compete beam as well and yeah. then still win a bronze medal I think it was yeah which is yeah yeah amazing. she's a pretty amazing athlete but let's talk yeah. about let's talk about you <laughs> um why did you want to be a gymnast uh, obviously it's something that you uh, you grabbed hold of at a pretty young yeah. age but what made you want to throw yourself into this sport well, I had a gym bus party when I was younger. So when I was, uh, I think my six-year-old birthday party, my parents got me a gym bus party. Um, so it's basically like a double-decker bus. They take all the inside seats out um, and then replace it with gymnastics equipment. So I had that and then that sparked my interest. Um, so prior to, to that? I had no gymnastics. You were just a, just another active kid. Yeah. You'd like yeah. to climb yeah. onto things and I bounce around. I did like around dancing and, and stuff yeah, when I was yeah. younger. 
um, before gymnastics. Did like music. I'm definitely not a musician. <laughs> <laughs> so mum was like, do you want gymnastics or music? I was like, gymnastics, please. <laughs> um, Is six quite old uh, yeah, to get into Yeah, people start at like two or four or yeah. you know, a bit younger than that. But I think if I started any younger, then I probably wouldn't have gone as far as what I was. Yeah. Um, because when I got into it, literally it was just for fun and mm. I love the sport and I love the feeling of being in control and flying and like all those kind of mm. generic cliche things. But it wasn't until uh, the two- 2007 World Championships, um, I was up on, I made beam finals and I was the only one in the team to make an individual apparatus final. Um, and I was second up and then I was actually watching the rest of the girls on beam because there's eight people in the finals. Um, and I was like, wow, I'm one of the top eight on an apparatus in the world. I was like, I'm actually kind of good at this sport. <laughs> Maybe I should give it a bit more of a go. You've just glossed over. You've just gone from gym bus yeah. <laughs> to world championships. Yeah. It was a couple of years <laughs> in between. <laughs> Lots of kids get onto gym buses at school yes. at, yeah. or, a, you know, birthday parties in yeah. primary school. Right? Not many of them end up even going as a spectator <laughs> to a yeah. world championship. <laughs> So can you fill in some of the gaps in between there? So as a six-year-old, yeah. bouncing around in a gym bus, and you thought, hey, this is fun. I'll give Let's this give a crack. Go. Yeah. Um, at some point, you must have gone, all right, I need to actually give some of my time and my energy to doing this <laughs> this properly. Yes. Um, was that a gradual thing or? Yeah, you know, it was d- a gradual thing. Yeah. Um, so I started off at Claremont PCYC, which mm-hmm. is now no longer there. They build apartment blocks in there. Um, and... So from there, like a talent scout from Waste basically came and was like, yeah, we'll give you a trial at Waste. Yeah. Um, so the WA Institute of Sport. Um, and then it was like a three-month trial, then a six-month trial. They're like, yep, we'll accept you into the Waste Flyers program, which mm-hmm. is like the junior-junior program. Yep. Um, and basically I was never the best in the group. I was always one of the average ones. And I was just kind of like ticking along, ticking along. And I'd watch the older girls and be like, oh, my God, I'd never be able to do that. Like yeah. the skills that they're doing, like just a random, like a basic flip on beam. I was in awe of, and I was like, that is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of always ticking away just in the background, and, the, you know, the girls that I was with in that same group were a little bit better, and then they kind of started dropping out when they got to high school, and I just kind of progressed, and I'm not one of those naturally gifted gymnasts. Um, I had to work really hard. <laughs> so you hard. say that. Yeah, I say that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, to anyone outside, though, I'm sure I'm no they'd be to differ. But I had to really work hard for all those skills that I got. Yeah. Um, and then once I got them, I generally used to keep them. Where the more naturally talented gymnasts, mm. um, they got skills quite easily, but then they could lose them just as easily as well. Mm. So I think in the end, it obviously worked in my favour, um, having to work a little bit harder at things like that. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, made the world championship team. <laughs> well, I went to nationals you and everything like, like that. <laughs> oh, you know, and then this happened and then, yeah. you know, I went to Bible for bread and hard. went to a world titles. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really want to ask you about that that environment, though, that you're in, because I, I think, to again, to people who sort of drift in and out of, you know, being gymnastics fans, which I'm sure is of, of some uh, annoyance to gymnasts that yeah. people just sort of tap into it every, <laughs> every you know, for a week or so, years. every two or four yeah. years, and we're blown away by it. But, you know, for you guys, this is so many hours of, of so many days of your life that you work so hard and put yeah. yourself in, in harm's way of physical injury and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll do this after a break, but I really want you to get you to describe what it is like being in an elite camp. Training environment. Yeah. Because sure. it sounds intense. 
It is, and I'd love you to paint a picture for us. <laughs> sure. This is Inspiring Stories. Uh, Lauren Mitchell, Australia's most decorated gymnast, is our special guest. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. We are hearing the story of superstar gymnast uh, Lauren Mitchell, who for the first time uh, recently got to sit down as a spectator and watch the Olympics and uh, was no doubt uh, casting her mind back uh, to all of her incredible feats over her uh, long and illustrious career. We're reflecting on some of those uh, in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Um, Lauren, your mum... Hales, or and some of your family, particularly mm-hmm. through your mum's side, goes to to Eastern Europe. Should I read anything into that? It's a it's a part of the world that we associate with, you know, outstanding gymnasts. Yeah. Has I mean, that got I'd anything to, to do it. with your <laughs> success, at least genetically, or just the you know, I don't know, was it? Was it fate that you were pushed into this sport, or how, is there um, anything in, the, in that? No, I don't think they pushed me completely into the sport. Like honestly, mum used to ask me every single year, "Do you want to do this?" Do you yeah. still love it? And I was like, yes, yes. Um, but my grandfather grew up in the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he kind of, we've got like Romanian, Ukrainian, um, bit of German and stuff kind of all in our blood. And then um, my grandmother was Greek. So it kind of got a mix. And my on my other side, I'm English. So um, I would love to say it's definitely in my heritage, in my genes and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and I think it helps with the height because I'm obviously quite short. Um, and I have really flat feet, which really helps with beam because it increases right? the surface area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Not falling off, that's a good start. Exactly, yep. <laughs> um, so I'd love to say is part of all that kind of combination of yeah. things. So, and our family's quite sporty as well. I, well, I was going to say, are there gymnasts in the family from generations before you? No, I'm like kind of the first gymnast to come along. I think my yeah. grandfather maybe dabbled in it a little bit, yeah. but just like the kindy gym stuff on the side, not yeah. really... Uh, anything elite or anything like that. Yeah. So, yeah. But mum and dad generally pretty active. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So mum yeah. played um, hockey. I th- I think she may have been um, one below like the state mm-hmm. title or state teams or whatever that is. Um, uh, dad used to play like AFL and stuff. So, yeah. But yeah, generally pretty active. Yeah. yeah. And, and growing up as a youngster, you know, outside of gymnastics, balls always flying right. around the house, you're always yeah. running around doing this and that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Typical yeah. Australian family sporting story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we hear a lot about how full-on um, gymnastics particularly is um, at junior level and when you get drafted into a, an elite program, yeah. just how intense it is. Can you, can you shine a light on just what that is like being in there? I mean, in terms of your commitments to it, when yeah. you're trying to balance primary school Everything. and high school, yeah. uh, how did you do it? What was it, what was an average day like? Um, so when you first start out, I was in year... Three, I think, when I mm. first started training in the mornings. Um, so you start out doing one morning session on, in a week, which yep. is enough, and then you train four afternoon sessions. So, what was a morning? So, when you did a morning session, what? Yep. So, what start? What time would uh, you? Six forty-five to eight forty-five. Yeah. If you're in primary school, and then as soon as you get as, to a, home, as a grade three. Yeah. 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 That's nice um, and early for mum and dad too. Yeah. So. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, as soon as I got my license, mum was like, "Off you go. Yeah. <laughs> you can drive All yourself." Yours. <laughs> um, yeah, so 6.45 to 8.45 in primary school. Then when you get to high school, it was 6.45 to 9.45. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously once you get to high school, I think it's around 12. Um, yep. You're training five days a week. Sorry, 
five mornings a week, yep. four evenings a week, and then on a Saturday. So basically 34 hours a week. Um, that's and a that's lot, just in the gym. Yeah, that's not including if you have to do weight sessions, which that goes maybe an hour or two a week. Then you've got physio and massage and recovery sessions and um, everything that kind of like goes along with the whole intense program. Um, and then sometimes you'd also have like nutrition sessions or skin fold sessions or mm. anything like that. Um, so it's a lot to pack into a week yeah. as well as doing school and everything. I'm doing the maths so, and trying to work out when you actually got to <laughs> sleep and do yeah, so, normal things, go to school as yeah. well. How did you balance your, you know, your school life School um, life and so having to do the work there? Primary school was pretty easy. Yeah. Well, I'd say that easy. Like you yeah. basically made sure that – so Wednesday afternoons was our afternoon off, so just basically smashed out all my homework then, um, which was quite good. And then obviously learning everything and stuff, like it was fine in school. Um, and you really learn how to be organised and have really good time management skills really early on. Um, I bet. Yeah, and primary school obviously finishes – like the school finishes about three and you would only leave school at about quarter to three because you'd start training at three, 3.30. Um, yep. So that wasn't a huge issue. issue. It was when you got to high school, um, your training obviously increased. So I didn't get to school until uh, maybe quarter past 10 most days. And I left at three o'clock most days. Um, but the school that I went to, I went to Iona Presentation College and they were really supportive. So you obviously have electives and stuff, uh, basically starting from year eight. When I went to school, it was year eight. It was high school. Mm. Um, and I basically chose not to do sport because I didn't have to do sport because I was doing enough sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Had that covered. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I only chose one elective. And then kind of in year 10 and 11 and 12, I had no mm. electives and I basically just did what I had to do. Um, and I used all those elective times as study times, uh, which really helped because I was able to catch up on things that yeah. I missed and then catch up on homework yeah. and things. So. Just on the sport issue, mm. I know obviously you didn't have time and, you know, you were definitely getting your activity in yeah. for the week. But if you could have done another sport just for fun, yeah. just for the hell of it, what would you have done? Um, so I remember doing like netball and volleyball and stuff in primary school and that was always quite fun, but yeah. I definitely don't have the height for volleyball. Whatever, so. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. What are you, about five foot? 5'3". Uh, 5'3". Five three. Five three. <laughs> 160 yeah. centimetres. <laughs> yes. Probably like running or athletics or something like that yeah. would have been a bit more my forte. Hurdles, yeah. actually. So I'm Hurdles. good at jumping. Yeah, yeah of course. Go. There you go. Yeah. Getting up off the ground, landing, yeah. you know, Perfect. elegantly. Yeah. Or that's, diving, actually. That's there one you of your go. Four, diving? Yeah. Yeah, something exactly. Like that. Now it's sounding like another <laughs> niche yeah, Olympic sport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you say that you had a, a fairly abnormal childhood, though? I don't know if you could – I mean, have others said that to you, where you've lived an abnormal uh, No life? one said abnormal. Maybe that's not um, the right word, but yeah, it's not a typical – It's not a – not a, It's yeah. a non-standard. It is a non-standard. If I can put it that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, childhood. Yeah. It's, it's definitely different to the norm, It right? is, yeah. And yeah. mum – like, I'm one of four children, um, the oldest one, and mum was quite – aware of the fact that I didn't have a normal childhood mm. or whatever. Um, but she'd always drag me to my other siblings' sporting events or um, we or did music, so music recitals and stuff yeah. like that, um, as well as them being dragged to my gymnastics competitions. So in that regard, it was we were all very even planed and I didn't get any special treatment in relation to them. Um, and she was always pretty good making sure that we caught up, like with my friends from school and stuff and made that extra time for me. Um, when I could and yeah. when I wanted to. Um, yeah. And it was difficult, obviously, going through high school because I went to an all-girls school and, you know, as 
girls grow up and you start going out with boys and um, start being a bit more social. Mm. Um, that's usually when a lot of the gymnasts go, oh, actually, that's kind of what I want to do. I don't really want to do You don't want to miss out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You yeah. don't want to miss out. And so how did you approach that? Um, well, that was kind of around the time that I started traveling internationally. And I was like, well, if I did that, I wouldn't have these opportunities to travel yeah. internationally. And I still love the sport and um, I wanted to compete and I wanted to prove to myself or just to see what I was capable of and to see what I could do. Um, and I'd much rather have done that because I've been to so many different countries and experienced so many different types of cultures. And it things. was worth the sacrifice. It was worth the, it yeah. worth the sacrifice. And, yeah. You know, someone said to me once it's not really a sacrifice, it's a choice. Mm. Um, and I chose to do gymnastics and I chose to represent my country. I didn't sacrifice anything to do that. Um, and those words kind of stuck with me because someone said that to me quite early on. Um, and every now and then I just remind myself and be like, no, I'm actually choosing to do this because I want to be here. Yeah. Um, not I have to be here. Yeah. So Was it alienating at all from your, your mates at school? A little you, bit, you, yeah. I mean, you were living a very different life to them, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and I had like really one really good friend who was amazing and we're still friends today you mm. know I graduated from school about 12 years ago now I think um and we're still really good friends and she would always make the effort to kind of go out with me would always try and catch up and yep. um stuff outside of school um yep. and I think because a lot of the gymnasts went to uh like the gymnastics school so Churchlands was where the gym bus came from waste and dropped all the all comes back to that gym bus, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> oh, different gym bus. <laughs> but yes. Um, and I think because my parents were like, no, we don't want you going to the gymnastics school. We want you to go to a different school so you yeah. have a different social circle. Yeah. I think yeah. that really helped as well um, to kind of get a little bit more of a normal life. A and bit more balance in yeah, your Yeah, a bit more balance. Make yeah. different types of friends, not just hang out yeah. with the same people all the time. Because yeah. honestly, the people that I trained with, I saw more than my parents or my family. Well, yeah. Because you just yeah. spend six and a half hours a day in the gym. Yeah. So, you know, mm. um, yeah, mum definitely, or, and dad definitely wanted me to get outside of that circle yeah. just so I could have a little bit more normality. Yeah. 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 A good idea, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, just before we get to another break, I have to ask you about, you know, there's been a lot of recent controversy around the intensive gymnastics program yeah. um, here in WA and some of the um, the coaching practices and methods and uh, the conduct of some of the, the people that that ran it, um, have you been caught up in that at all or are you steering clear of it? Can you yeah. reflect on your own experiences, um, you know, on that issue particularly? Yeah, look, I've steered pretty clear of it, yeah. if I'm being completely honest. Um, I don't, Can I say that because it has, it, you didn't really find yourself affected by it or yeah, you just, I had you just quite don't want to go there? Yeah, quite a experience. You know, you obviously have your days where it's tougher than other days um, and you start to question things and yep. things like that. And there's obviously a few things that I don't agree with personally, mm. um, but I've kept very clear of making any accusations or um, being involved in any, like they sent out like a survey or something recently. I've kind of kept clear of all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, just because I don't really have a lot to say. Like, I feel like I was treated as an elite athlete should be treated, yep. not um, yeah, not in any other way. Because mm. it, it's quite difficult because you start when you're six. Say, oh, I started when I was six. And you're working with these coaches and basically they're not your parent. They're not your teacher. Um, they're a coach and they're trying to get the best out of you as they can. And um, basically all the – while gymnastics is kind of in this – uh, kind of slump, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, the Soviets broke up in like the 90s or whatever and all those people then basically 
dispersed to the rest of the world. Mm. Um, and all those practices came with them, mm. um, which is why it's kind of like a systemic failure, I guess, for lack of a better reason. Oh, sorry, word. Um, it's a systemic issue that needs to be changed and it's the fundamentals behind it. So I don't think accusing any one particular program or any one particular person is right because mm. um, it's the whole approach and everyone's approach need to gymnastics and the coaching culture needs to be changed. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I think by accusing one person, that's not going to change the culture. It yeah. needs to be the new coaches coming up to change the culture. Yeah. So, well, I suppose and I think people are now aware of it. So. Yeah, and there's still a bit yeah. to play on that. Play out on that, uh, isn't yeah. there? So we'll yeah. see. Uh, we'll see, see what, what comes of it. Um, let's take another break. After that, I haven't even really asked you about your incredible world title oh, yeah. uh, win <laughs> in 2010, uh, as well as your trips to uh, to multiple Olympic Games uh, and Commonwealth Games as well. So plenty still to get through in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Uh, gymnast Lauren Mitchell is our special guest. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is gymnast Lauren Mitchell. We're going to talk about some of your uh, most uh, incredible achievements now, Lauren. Uh, you mentioned um, around 2007, was it? You were at your first sort of... Yep. Big World, World Championships. Championships. Yep. Um, what was that like, finally making it to the ultimate stage, Olympics aside, but World yep. Championships? That was the ultimate at the time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, a very different experience. I had no idea what to expect. Like I'd been to obviously our national championships mm-hmm. and things like that, and I'd been to other international competitions. Um, but just being on the world stage like that, and it was in Germany – Uh, in Stuttgart and so they had like cowbells ringing and people screaming and like it was all really loud and um, in finals as well it's the first time that I'd done so you don't get a 30 second touch so um, basically you have the day to kind of go out on the apparatus and feel the apparatus but you don't get to warm up on the apparatus that you're competing on right beforehand where every other competition you do Um, so it's the first time I'd kind of experienced anything like that yeah and it was pretty it was pretty incredible. And, mm. you know, the pressure was there a little bit because at the World Championships before the Olympic Games, the year before, um, you have to qualify a team. Um, and at that time, it was top 12 get to qualify and we qualified 11th, which our <laughs> hearts are in our mouth for about two days or something um, while we're waiting for the results and everyone to come through. So not only did you feel kind of really awful for maybe not qualifying Australia, um, but you were kind of, on the other hand, really happy and really proud that I'd actually made a final because I was yep. the only one to make an individual apparatus final. Yep. Um, yeah, so it was kind of like a mixed bag of emotions. And yeah. then when I kind of all finished, I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> that just happened. <laughs> yeah, literally. And then, like I said before, it was kind of um, the one time where I sat down and I actually watched and I was like, wow, I'm actually – good at this sport. Like, I could give this a red-hot go. It only just occurred to you at that, that yeah. moment, really? <laughs> well, because I was always the average one coming up in the group, I was never, like, the most amazing person. Um, like, I was obviously good at beam and floor, but I didn't think I was that good at beam and floor. And then to make a finals, I was like, maybe oh, I am good at beam and floor. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think I'm, like, the only person to make um, a finals at – every single World Championships or Olympic Games that I've been to, which is kind of cool. Well, add it, to, add it to your list. <laughs> you need to update your Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> 
Tell me about being in that moment. I mean, all of the training and hours that we've just talked about, and then you finally, you've got that one chance yeah. uh, to put it all on show, yeah. your very best effort. Yeah. Um, firstly, what, what's your, do you have a, um, uh, you know, a, a build-up plan? Do you have superstitions? Do you have things you do, pieces of music you listen to? Like, what do you, what, what's your, what's your pre-game routine? Yeah, look, I, I don't know if you've ever watched me do YouTube, oh, do YouTube, on YouTube, <laughs> um, yeah. I always stand like in front of the beam or whatever and I do this thing where I kind of feel like I push my feet into the ground yeah. um, and I basically go, okay, I'm feeling the ground underneath me. This is where I am in this moment. Um, I'm not halfway through a beam routine. I'm not thinking about the training or whatever I've done beforehand. I'm in this moment. I'm feeling the floor. And then I do like little kind of movements and stuff to kind of get my head around what skills I'm doing and things like that. Um, then I'd present and then I'd just go. And mm. um, my routine, I always had a certain rhythm to it um, and certain breaths at certain times and um, little cues all along the routine. Um, and, yeah, mentally that's kind of what helped me. Yep. Um, and then right like before the routine when you're not up on the podium, when you're down kind of in the marshalling waiting area, um, I always kind of visualised everything, went through everything in my head and I had to do it in a certain way, otherwise um, it wouldn't have worked. And um, I always had... <laughs> Uh, you know those glucose jelly beans that you can yeah. get from the chemist? I oh, yeah. I two of those before my floor routine, and it had to be the pink one and the yeah. white one. Well, there you go. <laughs> These little super oh, – yeah. oh, the white ones. They're I go so, – yeah. So good. They're the best. <laughs> yeah. Straight for the white ones. Yeah. <laughs> I always used to pick up the packet and make sure it had the most amount of pink and white in there. <laughs> they need to sell just that. Oh, I'd be in trouble yeah. if they sold bags yeah. of those, those glucagel white jelly yeah. beans. So much trouble. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be an elite level gymnast. But well, I'd, that's I'd, why I was only for competitions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you must, I mean, all of you must have had your own little quirky things that you yeah. did, right? Yeah. I mean, jelly beans maybe yeah. for you. Yeah. You must have seen some of your competitors doing all sorts of yeah, some people things, yeah? only taped in a certain way. They could only wear like certain amount of socks. And yeah. They had to wear like a short sleeve leotard to warm up and then put in their long sleeve leotard to compete and um, all kind of different things like that. Yeah. So, Which yeah. I suppose in isolation, when you look at them, they seem, seem quite weird. But yeah. But if you want to draw a line between them, it tells a story, I suppose, of yeah. Athletes just the enormous pressure that, yeah. that you're under. Yeah. What's it like then when you – you're, you're starting your routine, you're yeah. on the beam, you're on the floor, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, do you do you feel more relaxed then or are you, are you in some sort of weird, um, almost out-of-body experience in a different zone? Yeah, so um, sometimes what, what when happens? you're completely in the zone, yeah, you kind of know you're in the zone and you are kind of in an out-of-body experience. Like you, you just literally let your body do it because your body knows how to do it. It's so much so, muscle memory in there. Yeah, yep. it's more about just switching your mind off and yep. just letting your body go through the movements. Yep. But that's only if you're 100% completely prepared physically and mm. mentally. If you're not, um, then it's a completely different experience because then you're stressing out and you're quite anxious and you don't know what's going to happen. And so your mind's kind of overthinking things, um, which is why the key is a really good preparation and making sure you've um, kind of accounted for every different type of situation. So yeah. my coach used to give me different little things to work on at training and stuff like that. So, for example, um, we'll do five beam routines in training. And she was like, okay, if you hit three beam routines, so you don't fall off on three, then you can finish. So you're like, oh, okay. Well, the pressure's on to not hit – sorry, to hit those three beam routines. And so if you fall off in one of the three, then you're like, oh, 
okay, so then you're like, right, this fourth one has to count because then I don't have to do mm. another one. And it's kind of like a little game with yourself. So mm. not only practicing the physical side of things and getting fitter and stronger and stuff, mm. you're also practicing the mental side of things to kind of give yourself, okay, that pressure I need to make this routine, which is kind of the pressure that you get in competition anyway because you only get one go at it. You only mm. get one qualification go where I know in swimming or running or sorry athletics or anything like that, you have your heats and then you have your semis and you have your finals. You literally have your one go to qualify and that qualifies you for everything. It qualifies you for team finals, all-round finals, apparatus finals. It's brutal. It's brutal. And I think, yeah. again, as someone who just sort of dips in and out and watches it in awe every couple of years at Commonwealth yeah. Olympic Games, yeah. you know, you feel for someone who can do this impeccable routine and yeah. then, you know, it comes to the landing and – Something you, happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like they, was, they trip, fall, or, you know, just don't yeah. stick the landing as, as well as they probably have done a yeah. million times in and training. And you feel so bad for to them. To not make finals, yeah. Yeah, and that's it. This Japanese guy, and I'm going to say his name wrong, um, it's Kohei Uchimura. Sounds he good is, to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is phenomenal. He's basically the Simone Biles of the male gymnastics yep. world. Um, and he's Japanese, and Tokyo would have been his last Olympics because I think it was his fourth Olympics or something like that. Um, I think he's a seven-time world champion, like phenomenal. And he wasn't in the Japanese team. He was selected just for high bar finals. And you watched his qualifying routine and he fell. And you know that the last five years has been a build-up to that routine mm. and the immense pressure that he'd put on himself. And he fell at a home finals. And I just felt so bad for yeah. the guy. Because you don't get a second chance. No, like, that's it. That's it. Yeah. It's so brutal. Yeah. So brutal. Um, let's go back to your first Olympic Games. You yep. mentioned 2007 World Champs. Yep. What's, what was it like getting the call up for the Olympic Games? And the whole experience, you know, when you you, you get your you get your Olympics tracksuit and all the yeah. gear and you get your plane ticket. What, yeah. What's that like? Oh, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, so we went to Beijing and then you kind of – they give you – travel clothes that you travel in so yeah. they know that you're part of the Australian team then you get there and then you go to like this giant warehouse basically and you do fittings kind of like uh, the January or whatever before because the Olympics was in uh, August um, and so they have basically all your sizes and stuff there you can pick and choose a mm. couple of different sizes if they don't fit um, but everything's all there for you. And so you're walking out this giant warehouse with these two suitcases full of green and gold stuff and you're like, this is incredible because you've never seen so many green and gold stuff in your life. Yeah. And that's all you wear for the next two, three weeks. Um, and I think that bit's amazing. And then the fact that you've got like this huge dining hall as well with all these different type of athletes because it's that and Commonwealth Games is the mm. only time that you're basically with any other athletes. And even though you've never met any other Australian athletes before, or you may have met other Australian athletes before, you always say hi to them if they're wearing the green and gold because yeah. you just know that they're part of your team and yeah. they'll have your back no matter what. So yeah. that kind of side of it, like the camaraderie and the mateship and your teammates, that is what makes the Olympics the Olympics. Yeah. Um, the competition's basically the same as every other competition. Like I know that sounds like a cliche, but it is. <laughs> Um, it's everything else which makes the Olympics the Olympics. Yeah. So just having that feeling of support and um, everyone's there for you and to support you and to watch you and, um, yeah, that's kind of cool. Mm. Yeah. Did mum and dad get to travel much and watch you compete? Yeah, so dad used to actually live in China um, for a couple of years. So mm -hmm. he kind of had like the local knowledge and so they could get accommodation quite cheaply and um, that was really cool that they got to mm. see that first one and – Mum and Dad went to my first World Championships um, and then everyone went to 
2012 London as well. And then mum went to Glasgow Commonwealth Games. So I yep. went to like a handful of competitions, yeah. which is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, I suppose they'd yeah. be forever on a plane if they yeah, were following exactly. you everywhere. <laughs> um, in between uh, the 08 and the 12 Olympics, uh, you had arguably your greatest individual yes. achievement. Yes. I mean, it doesn't get much better than winning a world uh, title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the floor exercise, as you reflect back on your career, it w- was that the standout individual moment at least, winning that? Yeah. Look, to be honest, there's a couple of standout moments. Um and I did a talk for a gymnastics club recently and they put on like a real, like someone had made a combination of all these different types of routines and stuff that I'd mm-hmm. done over the years. And I was getting really emotional and I was like, oh my goodness, why am I getting emotional just watching all of this come through? <laughs> and I don't think when you're in the moment, you don't realise what it actually means. Yeah. Um, and so looking back on it and at one point in your life, you were the best in the world at something. Yeah. That was, is pretty Not many incredible. people can say yeah, that. Yeah, and, you know, now I've been retired five years, you can reflect back on it and you're like, that is actually amazing. Yeah. Um, and there was this one other time, uh, was in Japan, um, it was a World Cup final as well, and it was basically like all the finalists from the BEAM World Championships final had made this World Cup event um, and they were all competing. And mm. then I won that one and I think that meant more as well because it was kind of like a redo of the um, BEAM finals from the World yeah. Championships of that year where I... I think I got fourth or something. Yeah. So that was kind of cool as well. Is there a feeling after having a, a, a massive victory like you had in 2010 that you, yeah. you don't want to be, for want of a better phrase, a one-hit wonder? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You kind of want to prove that you deserve that and, yeah. and that was you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's still, even in London, because I got fifth in London by point one, which is literally a step still burns yeah it still burns <laughs> i still think about it i'm like oh my god i was so close that's probably not the one regret cuz i did everything that i could have up until that point to yeah. make myself um you know in the best possible position uh to win an olympic medal but it was just some things that just didn't fall in my favor like yeah. for example i was battling a shoulder injury and an abdominal injury at the same time during that routine mm. so and there was nothing else I could do about it like that's what it was and yeah um yeah yeah it's just unfortunate that's, it's just, that's just how it played yeah. out <laughs> um we need to take another break but uh, a little bit more on your Olympics journey after that and you mentioned injuries as well because I know you've yeah. had some sizable injuries yeah. that you've had to overcome in your career which is probably not unexpected given the the rigors that you put yourself through, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'll get you to explain some of your uh, your more severe injuries that you've had to cope okay. with. Because <laughs> I, having read about some of them, you're like, mm, that doesn't sound great. No, um, but the pressures I suppose you put on your body, it's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're throwing ourselves up into the air and exactly. trying to land again, you know. Exactly. Uh, this is Inspiring Stories. Laura Mitchell is our special guest. Back with more right after this. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, we are hearing the incredible story of our most uh, decorated uh, gymnast this country has ever produced, WA's own Lauren Mitchell. Um, Lauren, you mentioned just before the break there uh, a shoulder injury, but let's mm. talk about the catalogue of injuries over your career. <laughs> we probably haven't got time to go through all of them. Probably not. <laughs> um, but I know that there was a broken hand at one point, yep, yep. Uh, which if my memory serves was in the earlier part of your yeah, career. Yep. You also had a spectacular knee injury yes, at one point yes. that kind of makes you 
cry just imagining yeah. the pain. Yeah. Look, it's the only injury that I've done where I felt like I've needed to throw up. Every other injury, you're like, eh, like it hurts. But, yeah. you know, like after I broke my hand, I drove home and I have a manual car and it was my <laughs> left hand. So, um, and I've done my ankles multiple times and I yeah. tore my ab muscle right before London. And um, that injury was really painful. And again, um, it made me feel sick, but not like instantaneous, make me want to throw up. Yeah. Body in shock. Yeah. That sort of response. Yeah. 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 Um, So you you snapped your ACL and your PCL in one hit. In one hit. Yeah. Got to do it well. (laughs) You don't do things by half. No. So I had just a bad landing on floor. I landed with my feet apart a little bit, uh, like in front and behind each other. And then my knee, I've got hyperextensive knees anyway, and my knee hyperextended out to the side. And I just heard this bang and I was like, oh, that's not good. Felt a little bit loose. Um, saw the doctor and um, the I think it's Lockman's test that they do to test your ACL. She was like, oh, no, that's fine. But because you're um, going away to World Uni Games like tomorrow or the day after, we'll just get an MRI just to check. Um, anyway, got the MRI and ACL was completely Confirmed gone. the worst. PCL was 75% gone. Yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> surgery a week after. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, of course, you uh, at that point were gunning for – the Rio yeah. games, yeah. So, did, did just calling it a day enter your mind at that point? Because I suppose in the your span of your career, yeah. you're probably getting towards the, the, the senior end anyway, yeah. weren't you? Yeah. Look, it was a really tough decision for me to make if I make a call there and then say, no, nah, that's it, I'm done. But I've always said I never wanted to finish on an injury. Um, and I knew that if I didn't give it one last go that I would regret it. Um, so I ended up getting the surgery, um, the ACL surgery with the Lars augmentation. Mm-hmm. So kind of they take your hamstring and then the rest of it is basically like a plastic graft. Yeah. Um, it makes it heal quicker. Yeah. But unfortunately, within that time, there was the World Championships. And like I said before, Australia has to qualify a team for the Olympics and Australia didn't qualify a team and I wasn't competing, so I couldn't help them out. Um and they could only send one person. And we had our national championships. Um, so I did my knee in the June. Then the following May, we had our national championships to make Rio. Um, and look, I still won beam. Yeah. Um, I surprised myself with that. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, they didn't send me. And I can understand they don't want to send someone who's just straight off rehab. But if Australia had made a team, I would have been in the team. Yeah. So that's kind of the whole disappointing thing for me yeah. personally. And I just needed a little bit more time just to mm. come back from it. Um, and the Olympics would have been the perfect amount of time after yep. nationals to get and, and a beautiful time. swan song. Yeah, but uh, it wasn't yeah. to be. No, but ha- I didn't finish on an injury, so that's okay. Well, exactly. <laughs> and how are you now? Sort of as you've left the elite level sport behind. Yeah. Physically, are you okay? Are there any kind of lingering yeah, look, aches and pains? From, my knees probably from your time? one of my better injuries because um, <laughs> <laughs> I rehabbed it. Really, really well. Like yeah. I was really conscious of the rehab for yeah. that because um, I know that a lot of people don't and then they re-rupture their ACL and I was like, I do not want to go through this again. Mm. Um, it's probably my shoulder that's actually the worst. Yep. So I tore the supraspinatus tendon by 85%. So they basically had to re-anchor that on. And I tore, you've got um, something called the labrum, which basically holds the ball and the socket on together. And I tore that off the socket bit. So it was kind of like Ouch. free in the air. So they had to anchor that back on. And I think, yeah. That's it's just yeah. not been the same it's, since. It's not quite right. Yeah, I don't need it a lot. Only but all worth work. it. All worth it. <laughs> all worth it. Hundred percent worth it. I wouldn't change anything. What do you do with your your days now? Post gymnastics. So, what do you do? Yeah, I'm a radiographer now at Royal Perth Hospital. Yeah. Um. So we see all the trauma come in because it's obviously we've got the state trauma unit there. Um. And 
my injuries are nothing compared to some of those mm. people um, or what they have to go through. So it makes my life go, okay, I was able to experience my gymnastics and able to um, represent my country and do exactly what I wanted while still getting these minor injuries compared to what some people have to go through. And it's just unfortunately a car accident, like yeah. wrong place, wrong time. Um, it affects their life completely. Yeah, so, yeah. Pretty, pretty humbling to see people. It in those is, yeah, and it makes you really appreciate what moments. you have. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um, your knowledge um, and your connection to your physical body. Yeah, that you've obviously just developed an innate understanding of over many years. Yeah, is that? Uh, can we draw a link between that and being a radiographer and dealing with people who are, yeah, in their well, own moments dealing with physical trauma. Yeah, as if well, I, um, is there a link there? ever see someone do an ACL injury, I'm like, well, you need to make sure you do your rehab. We'll have you back on the beam in no time. (laughs) (laughs) No, it can really make you kind of appreciate and empathise and sympathise with them because you know, well, probably not how much pain they're going through, but you know what Mm. the rehab process is going to be like and um, you kind of know a little bit about what they're kind of going through and what they're feeling. So you can kind of see – you can see how being a radiographer helps them. Yeah. and you can see how my past experience helps when you're x-raying them or scanning them. And yep. um, you can give them a little bit of your own advice. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. From the elite level gymnastics program. Yeah. yeah and that's it's cool advice that you're not going to get anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. <laughs> and, and what does the future hold for you? What are your ambitions going forward? Uh, do you see yourself being involved with gymnastics at a, at a coaching level or a mentoring level or anything like that? I would love like to that? do some mentoring. Yeah. I think... Coaching's a little bit too hard, and I have the radiography career now. Yeah. Um, so I'm quite – like, I love radiography, so I'm mm. quite focused on that um, in terms of my actual full-time job. Um, I would definitely consider some mentoring. And we – me and Alana Slater, one of the other most successful gymnasts um, from WA, we did a little bit of mentoring before the waste program kind of wasn't the waste program anymore. Yep. Um, and that kind of fell by the wayside, unfortunately. So maybe in another couple of years, once it kind of comes back yeah. and gymnastics comes back a little bit more within Australia, then yeah. um, hopefully we can use our skills. and Because we've got so much knowledge mm. that is just kind of going to waste that we can just pass on to the next generation. Yeah. So. Haven't thought about uh, buying an old gym bus and no. taking it to its birthday parties, <laughs> inspiring <yet. laughs> the next generation. No. Imagine that, Laura Mitchell's gym bus. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> there you go. You can have that one for free. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Do with it whatever you want. It yeah. sounds like you're onto a winner uh, with your new career anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. Congratulations uh, again, uh, belatedly, on all of your amazing achievements yeah. and good luck with everything uh, yeah. going forward. And we appreciate you coming in and sharing your story with us. That's right. Thanks for it's having me. It's been a pleasure. Been Thank fun. you so much. You've been listening to another episode of Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Stuff for your face and body? It's men's skincare with a purpose. Top quality Aussie-made grooming and skincare to help guys look and feel great with no hassles. Plus, Stuff is helping mental health too. Find Stuff at Woolworths or visit websiteofstuff.com.